Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, I'm Don Lemon. Here's our breaking news. There are now more than 1,150,000 cases of coronavirus in this country. More than 67,000 Americans have died. And if you are having trouble wrapping your head around that number, well, I want you to think of this. More than 13,000 people died in just the past week, just since last Sunday. So don't let anyone tell you that this is over because it is not. 
The coronavirus is still killing thousands of Americans every single week. We still don't have the testing we need, and that is a disgrace, quite, quite frankly. Nearly two months after the president promised, anybody who needs a test gets a test. And we're still a long way away from a vaccine. But governors across the country are under pressure to open up and get their states back in business. More than 30 states have started reopening businesses and easing uh, stay-at-home orders. More to come this week. But as more and more reopen without even having met the president's vague guidelines, I want you to listen to what the president said just moments ago about the projected death toll. I used to say 65,000, and now I'm saying 80 or 90, and it goes up, and it goes up rapidly. But it's still going to be, no matter how you look at it, at the very lower end of the plane if we did the shutdown. But that is after Dr. Burks, Dr. Deborah Burks, claimed today that the White House we always projected up to 240,000 deaths from the coronavirus. Our projections have always been between 100 and 240,000 American lives lost, and that's with full mitigation and us learning from each other of how to social distance. So that's what you call a contradiction. But this isn't the first time the president has contradicted his own experts. It's looking like it's heading to 50,000 or more deaths, deaths, not cases, 50,000 deaths. So we're talking about maybe 60,000 or so. That's a lot of people, but that's 100,000 was the minimum we thought that we could get to, and we, we will be lower than that number. We would have had millions of deaths instead of, it looks like we'll be at about a 60,000 mark, which is 40,000 less than the lowest number thought of. Now, with all of the deaths that we've seen, at 50 or 60,000 people heading toward. Right now it's at 40, but 50 or 60,000 people, probably over 54, I see. Yeah, we've lost a lot of people, but if you look at what original projections were, 2.2 million, we're probably heading to 60,000, 70,000. Okay, and, and let's not forget this stunning statement from the president's own son-in-law and his senior advisor, Jared Kushner, calling the administration's coronavirus response a great success story. We're on the other side of the medical aspect of this, and I think that we've uh, achieved all the different milestones that are needed. So the, gov the government, federal government, rose to the challenge, and this is a great success story. This is no success story. Not while deaths are still climbing. But the president tonight is trying to pivot to reopening the economy. I think we're going to have an incredible following year. We're going to go into a transition in the third quarter, and we're going to see things happening that look good. I really believe that. I have a, a good feel for this stuff. I've done it for a long time. So I've said it before. Everybody wants the economy to, to come back. Come on. People are hurting. Millions of jobs lost. Millions of people not sure where to get the money to pay the rent and put food on the table. But well, the president wants to be able to showcase an economic recovery. It's his ace in the hole with Election Day just six months away. And he just can't seem to muster the kind of compassion that we need from our president, with more and more Americans getting sick and more and more Americans dying. He is longing to get back to crowded campaign rallies, right? Sirius says, hopefully our country will soon mend. We are all missing our wonderful rallies and many other things. Uh, no, we're not. He's bragging about his golf courses. And then there is this. 
one of the most transparent and ludicrous attempts at distraction that we have seen from a president who has got a, a million of them, retweeting an utterly absurd claim by a conspiracy theorist that the former president, Barack Obama, was behind what he calls the Russia hoax. This one is really a new low from a president who goes low all the time. It is obviously completely untrue. It's a disturbed fantasy. And just as obviously, he doesn't really expect you to believe it. He just wants to turn the page, to get you to think about something, anything, other than one of the worst crises in this nation's history. Look in the mirror, Mr. President. It's you. And this is nothing but a shameless attempt to distract from your own administration's mishandling of a crisis that's cost over 67,000 American lives. And by the way, you were warned about a pandemic like this by the Obama administration. Yet at a time when we need leadership, when we need compassion, this is the crap that you're peddling, conspiracy theories. Like I said, it is shameful. But thank goodness there is a president, a, a, a real president that is showing compassion for his fellow Americans. And it is not President Trump. It is former President George W. Bush with a message full of images of and concern for all Americans. Let's remember that the suffering we experience as a nation does not fall evenly. In the days to come, it will be especially important to care in practical ways for the elderly, the ill, and the unemployed. Finally, let us remember how small our differences are in the face of this shared threat. In the final analysis, we are not partisan combatants. We are human beings, equally vulnerable and equally wonderful in the sight of God. We rise or fall together, and we are determined to rise. And how does President Trump respond? Predictably, he makes it all about him, about his wounded pride, his constant airing of grievances, tweeting that former President Bush didn't defend him on impeachment. The president's impeachment trial ended in his acquittal on February 5th. The very next day, the first American died of the coronavirus. More than 67,000 Americans have died since then. How about thinking about them for a change instead of nursing your grudges? How about showing some compassion? Former President Bush did it. So did former President Barack Obama. Hi, everybody. Let me start by saying the obvious. These aren't normal times. As we all manage our way through a pandemic unlike anything we've seen in a century, Michelle and I hope that you and your families are safe and well. If you've lost somebody to this virus, or if someone in your life is sick, or if you're one of the millions suffering economic hardship, please know that you're in our prayers. Please know that you're not alone, because now's the time for all of us to help where we can and to be there for each other as neighbors, as co-workers, and as fellow citizens. In fact, over the past weeks, we've seen plenty of examples of the kind of courage, kindness, and selflessness 
that we're going to need to get through one of the most difficult times in our history. Hmm. Boy, oh boy, that's leadership. That's compassion. Too bad that President Trump can't show either. By the way, what is it about President Obama that really gets under your skin? Is it because he's smarter than you? Better educated? Made it on his own? Didn't need daddy's help? Wife is more accomplished? Better looking? I don't know. What is it? What is it about him? That he's a black man that's accomplished, became president? That he punked you on the whole birth certificate thing? What is it about him? Just wondering. Free. 
who's given a full account of what the president said yesterday is the one Democrat who was president. Who was president. How dare you pull children out of the arms of their mothers? How dare you lie and say you couldn't do anything about it? You're the one who caused it, and you're the one that we're going to make to turn it back because what you're doing now is lying, lying, lying. The American people have put up with this president long enough. What more do we need to see? What more lies do we need to hear? It is time for us to say, even though there are those who don't want us to say it, Mr. President, you need to be impeached.
they said publicly that they were going to separate these children from their parents in an issue that they have tried to use to get that wall built so they can intimidate all of us. But again, the message has to be, Mr. President, we're not afraid of you. We're not afraid of Jeff Sessions. We're not afraid of John Kelly. We're not afraid of your administration. And while you think you have gotten away with everything that you have done, we are going to show you that you haven't gotten away with anything. We want the children back. We want them connected to their parents. We want it done now. We're going to insist on it. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. You have members of your cabinet uh, that are being booed out of restaurants. Yeah. Who have protesters taking up at their house. Yeah. Who saying no peace, no sleep. No peace, no sleep. And guess what? We're going to win this battle because while you try and take the Bible, Jeff Sessions and others, you really don't know the Bible. God is on our side. On the side of the children, on the side of what's right, on the side of what's honorable, on the side of understanding that if we can't protect the children, we can't protect anybody. And so let's stay the course. Let's make sure we... To the House, where Democrats just took control and they're starting the year with a very long to-do list. Joining me now, a member of Democratic Leadership, the new chairman of the House Select Committee on Intelligence, Congressman Adam Schiff, Mr. Chairman, congratulations. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jake. Happy New Year. So um, you, you, you just heard me talk with Acting uh, Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney. Uh, and one of the things uh, that Mulvaney and I were talking about... Uh,
All right, the George Wilder Jr. Show is on the air. We're having a bit of difficulty. Sherry, can you come in now? Yes, I'm here. Oh, yeah, hi. Oh. Are you on? Yeah, I'm on. Oh, hi. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm fine. And, Great. And now I'm having... I don't know if it's... Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay, okay. I don't want to sound like as if I'm in a vacuum or, or something. Um, no, you're not not too soft. You're not like doesn't sound like you're screaming or anything. So you're a okay. Okay, okay. Um, I'm sorry for the difficulty. I it happens. It happens. I know. It, it, That's all right. It does. It does. That's okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, start talking about your books. I mean, tell us about your books. Uh, tell us, uh, you know, how you've been doing. And I think you've been on the show about two or three times. Yeah, this is my third time, so thank you for okay, having me back. Okay, great. Glad to have uh-huh. you back. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> okay, well, my, first, my my books are, are children's books, and yeah, uh, the first two have been out for a couple years. Uh, first book is Cassie's Marvelous Music Lessons for Ages 3 to 8, and it covers a dog that thinks they're a better piano teacher than their human counterpart. And then the sequel, the first sequel, is called Cassie Pup Takes a Cake, and the dog was the first in the first book was adopted into that family, but now is readopted into a baker's uh, bakery. And immediately the baker puts her up for competition with the International Cupcake Bake Off. And um, it's the first sequel. And the third book's coming out in less than two months, the, the second sequel, called uh, Cassie Pup's Favorite Ladybug and Snake Stories. And all three books are for um, ages three to eight. Um, and the first two books, uh, they've been uh, roughly five-star uh, Amazon reviews in Barnes & Noble. Um, the, the, they've won six national and one international children's book awards. And um, so there will probably be a total of three sequels to the first book. Wow, you've been keeping quite busy, huh? I sure have. Yeah, it's it's, it's very, you know, time-consuming, but it's worth it. It's fun. It is fun, too. Yes, it is. It's, <laughs> it's, the creative process is the most fun. It's the marketing yeah. thing that you just want to, you know, rip your hair out. So, but it, Yeah, it, that's where the work comes in. Yeah. The, the, uh, yeah. You know, the promoting and the marketing or the, the, the you know, it, it's good once you get it done, but it's not as fun as the creative writing part of it. So. Yeah, it is great when you get it done and when you it's all completed and, and you think it's over, the work is over. It's not. It's, it's not. Right. It's right. It's something to do every day on it for several hours yeah, a day. Yeah, and um, uh, being a writer myself, I do know. I do know that the creative process, like you said, is the most fun. Once right. everything is completed and you're ready to get it off, get it published, or let someone see it, that's when the work starts and right i yeah uh, i I should say also the other thing it's fun too with children's books when i get to go to organizations or school visits and get to to be with the kids and read to them and how much they enjoy that that's another fun part of the creative writing process too yeah i've seen some of the uh the photographs that you take with some of those kids i think i think it's amazing and uh, (laughs) and the success that you have uh uh, that you have, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to say, hey, great, uh, keep writing. What is it about the Thank writing you. process that you like? What I like about it, I just didn't let your imagination soar and just mm-hmm. just go into the depths of your 
you know, creative being as far as you can. A lot of it can be uh, like the dog Cassie was from a real life white miniature schnauzer that I had. Um, gave me these ideas for these stories, but you can even go further in once you get something you know really well, go into the ultra creative areas and bring that in too. So, yeah, back to the, the children thing, I this wonderful virus thing that we've been going through nationwide, I, I had to cancel six, uh, at the end of the school year, six school visits because of because of that happening. So I'm wondering in the fall if they're going to, our, our city's talking about having online uh, instruction starting maybe in the fall. So it might be virtual school visits. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it seems like everything is virtual now. I mean, you know, I mean, it's a, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. I, I didn't think something could uh, do this to an entire, to the entire world. And I know. There's so really many, yeah, yeah, and and there are so many uncaring people, and it's it's just right. It, it's affecting right. everybody. I mean, my son, he has to do virtual um, uh-huh. online for his college. Uh huh. Yeah, for his college, uh-huh. and he has to do that, and that's new to him and new to me also. And you know, right. I've never done oh. things over on Zoom. <laughs> It's kind of right, it's, right. That's, it, it's, it's something done, that we're, we're going to have to learn, I think. I think so. Well, I've done some meetings with the illustrator of mine on Zoom. I was used to Skype, and I didn't ever never heard of heard of Zoom before until you know the this latest illustration. So it's yeah. interesting to go by. Um, I have to contact. I have a, actually have a kindergarten teacher that lives down near Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and she's 109. I'd like to talk to her. Uh, I talked to her on her birthday in March, but I'd like to go back and ask her in, as a history lesson. You, will, she would have been a little girl during that 1918, uh, the Spanish flu epidemic. That would yeah, be interesting yeah. to hear what Which what is she viewed it similar to as. what we had now. Right, right. I'd love to hear what she said, how how people reacted and how they resorted to things, you know, in uh, during that time. Yeah. She's got a lot of stories bottled up inside of her. That would be great. Oh, she does. I, I've heard a lot of them. She, I mean, she's, she's <laughs> just an amazing person. She can remember when I was her a teacher's helper, and that was back in the late 60s. So that's got, she's got a great memory yet at 109. So. Yeah, 109. Uh, yeah. As a child, did you yourself read a lot of uh, kid children books? I did. I read a lot of books. Mm-hmm. I read uh, mm-hmm. my favorites were uh, Hans Christian Andersen, The Snow Queen, oh, yeah. uh, box, Boxcar Children, um, what else was The Little House in the Prairie. Um, I like biography books like read about like uh, mm-hmm. Helen Keller or, you know, things like yeah. biography books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I, yeah, I was an only child. Yeah, I remember so I, Helen I, Keller. I had, yeah, yeah, that was really amazing. I was an only child, so I had to, uh, you know, make the use of my time when the neighborhood kids went inside. I had to entertain myself. So <laughs> I love to read. I love to start Something we do now. Being... Huh? huh? I'm sorry? Something that we do now with the stay at home and shelter in place. We have to try to. Yeah. Yeah. We have to it's try to keep ourselves going. entertained, you know. It's a continuous cabin fever feeling, you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> it sure is. I but. You. This is the world we're living in, and, you know, yeah. 
you know, I, I always try to tell people, um, do not try to get too dismayed because I think this will pass. I think. Well, it will. I think it definitely. Yeah, it will. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking maybe 2021 it'll pass. Yeah, know. they'll have a vaccine and, uh, and everything by then, I think, too. Yeah, a vaccine. I think they have something now, uh, but I don't know how how effective it is. Uh, but they're right. saying they have something now. But anyway, uh, this is beyond me. This this coronavirus and wearing masks and gloves and uh, yeah. and staying yeah, in the house. Yeah, when you have to go to a grocery store and everybody's wearing masks, it's just the word I think is surreal. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. The grocery store, yeah. everybody's wearing masks. If you if you walking down the street, everybody's wearing a mask. Um, yeah, it's wow, really this is scary. Crazy. <laughs> it is crazy, yeah. and I could I could you know talk about this forever, but we we're here to talk about you. And are you going to be working on uh, anything else in the future? Uh, the children? I'm, I'm working on. Yeah, I'm working on the the, the third sequel. I've I've just got oh, okay. just nine, or, nine or ten pages into that, and that that wouldn't happen until maybe next year. It's just illustration process is takes a lot of a lot out of me and a lot of time. So um, with children's books, so probably next year sometime we'll get that all together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, as a writer myself, I, I'm all, I have always got plenty of projects uh, on hand, and I'm yeah. doing a lot of now and uh I, I always say writers know writers so <laughs> you're right that's right that's, that's absolutely true oh yeah <laughs> and you've got yeah. some good books out there too so yeah yeah i have some good books out there yeah you do yeah they look really really neat yeah that's the color <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know so it, it's tough writing it's i used to I used to want to do novels. I used to do novels, but and then I settled for short stories because I think they're just as powerful as any novel. They can be just as powerful. Are you there? Humorous, humorous books. Yeah, so. uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Um, so um, tell us how we can uh, find your books, where they are, and. Uh, Oh yeah, uh, they're at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. They're my books Amazon, are at, Bar- uh, uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Mm-hmm. Do you have a website? Oh yes, I do. It's www.sheripoe-pape.com. All right, Sherry Pape on the George Wilder Journey Show. Uh, thanks for coming in. I'm sorry for the difficulty. It happens. Uh, oh, that's <laughs> no problem. Can I say one more thing? I can also, yeah. because of what's happened starting in the fall, I can do person or virtual organization or school visits uh, if mm-hmm. anyone's interested in the Chicago area. So. Yeah, yeah, school visits. I can say this. Uh, I think for the rest of the year, schools will be closed. Oh, yeah, I'm saying for fall, you know, in fall, oh, I fall. can do this. Do the, I can yeah, do it in person yeah. or virtual, you know, organizations okay. or school visits. I'm, I'm really so what do you do for uh, FaceTime on the computer? You do Zoom? Uh, for for doing, like, conferences, I do Skype and Zoom. Mm-hmm. Zoom. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks for being on the show. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you thanks. came. Yeah, thanks for having me, George. Have a good night. You too. Stay safe. Uh, you too. Bye-bye. Bye.
All right, the George Wilder Jr. Show, Sherry Pape on the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're going to do this, and we will be right back, ladies and gentlemen, if I can do it. Here we To the House, where Democrats just took control, and they're starting the year with a very long to-do list. Joining me now, a member of Democratic leadership, the new chairman of the House Select Committee on Intelligence, Congressman Adam Schiff. Mr. Chairman, congratulations. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jake. Happy New Year. So um, you, you, you just heard me talk with Acting uh, Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, uh, and one of the things uh, that Mulvaney and I were talking about uh, was the deliberations about the president potentially invoking emergency powers to fund the border wall. Uh, what do you make of that? What do you think? I make of that uh, really threatening talk from the president uh, that he doesn't have the power to execute. Look, if uh, Harry Truman couldn't nationalize the steel industry during wartime, uh, this president doesn't have the power to declare an emergency and, and build a multi-billion dollar wall on the border. So that's a non-starter. Um, and I think that uh, what the president needs to do more than anything else, he's painted himself into a corner on this thing, is figure out how he unpaints himself uh, from that corner. We need to reopen the government. We need to put people back to work. And I think uh, Senator Jones was making a very important point, which is really something that uh, I'm very focused on as well, and that is we can't allow this continual process uh, that was really modernized by the Tea Party, that if I don't get what I want, if I don't get what I don't have the votes for, if I don't get what the country doesn't want, I'm just going to shut down the government. Uh, if you reward the president with that kind of tactic, Jake, then we're going to see every year the president shutting down the government, and we just can't afford to do business that way. You just took control of the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, meanwhile, the grand jury in special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation has just been extended for up to another six months. Uh, I know that you're not directly working with uh, Mueller's uh, investigation, but what do you make of that? Well, he's clearly not done. Uh, there's more work for the grand jury. Now, whether that is a full six months more work or some uh, portion less than that, uh, clearly there are other potential charges that he must be.
The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. Perhaps you've noticed we no longer have old people in this country. They're all gone now, replaced by senior citizens. Somehow we wound up with millions of these unfortunate creatures known as golden agers or mature adults. These are cold, lifeless, antiseptic terms, typically American, all ways of sidestepping the fear of aging. And it's not difficult to understand the fear of aging. It's natural, and it's universal. No one wants to get old. No one wants to die. But we do. We die. Yeah, we do. And we don't like that. So we shade the truth. I started doing it when I reached my 40s. I'd look in the mirror at that time and think, well, I guess I'm getting older. That sounded a little better than old. Sounded like it might even last a bit longer. But people forget that older is comparative, and they use it as an absolute. She's an older woman. Oh, really? Older than what? Than she used to be? Well, yeah. So? People think getting old is bad because they think being old is bad. But you know something? Being old is just fine. In fact, it can be terrific. And anyway, it's one of those things you don't get to choose. It's not optional. But that insufferable group among us, known as baby boomers, ages 42 through 59, as of 2005, are beginning to get old, and they're having trouble dealing with that. Remember, these baby boomers are the ones who gave us this soft, politically correct language in the first place. So rather than admit they're getting old, the baby boomers have come up with a new term to describe themselves as they approach the grave. They don't care for middle-aged, so instead, get this, folks, instead, they claim to be pre-elderly. Don't you love that? Pre-elderly. It's a real word. You don't hear it a lot, but it's out there. The boomers claim that if you're between 50 and 65, you're pre-elderly. But I'd be willing to bet that in 2011, when they begin turning 65, they will not be calling themselves elderly. I have a hunch they'll come up with some new way of avoiding reality. And I have a suggestion for them. They should call themselves the pre-dead. It's a perfect term because for them, it's accurate and it's highly descriptive. By the way, those ever-clever boomers have also come up with a word to describe the jobs they feel are most suitable for retired people who wish to keep working. They call these jobs elder-friendly. Isn't that sad? God, that's just really, really sad. And so, to sum it up, we have these senior citizens. And whether I like that phrase or not, unfortunately, I got used to it. And I no longer react too violently when I hear it. But there is still one description for old people that I'll never accept. That's when I hear someone describe an old guy as being, for instance, 80 years young. Even though I know it's tongue-in-cheek, it makes my skin crawl. It's overly cute and precious, and it's an evasion. 
It's junk language. On CBS's 60 Minutes, Leslie Stahl, God help her, actually referred to some old man as being a 90-something. Please, Leslie, I need a small personal break here. One last pathetic example in this category. On the radio, I heard Matt Drudge actually refer to people of age. And he wasn't being sarcastic. He said the West Nile virus is a particular threat to people of age. Poor Matt. Apparently, he's more fucked up than he seems. Now, going to an adjacent subject, one unfortunate fact of life for many of these 80 or 90-somethings is that they're forced to live in places where they'd rather not be. Old people's homes. So what name should we use for these places where we hide our old people? When I was a little boy, there was a building in my neighborhood called the Home for the Aged. It had a copper sign on the gate. Home for the Aged. It always looked deserted. I never saw anyone go in. Naturally, I never saw anyone come out, either. Later, I noticed people started calling those places nursing homes and rest homes. Apparently, it was decided that some of these old people needed nurses, while others just needed a little rest. What you hear them called now is retirement homes, or long-term care facilities. There's another one of those truly bloodless terms, long-term care facilities. But actually, it makes sense to give it a name like that, because if you do, you make it a lot easier for the person you're putting in there to acquiesce and cooperate with you. I remember old people used to tell their families, Whatever you do, don't put me in a home. Please, don't put me in a home. But it's hard to imagine one of them saying, Whatever you do, don't put me in a long-term care facility. So calling it that is really a trick. Come on, Grandpa, it's not a home. It's a long-term care facility. By the way, while we're on this subject of the language of getting old, I want to tell you something that happened to me in New York on a recent evening. I was standing in line at the Carnegie Deli to pay my check, and there was a guy ahead of me who looked like he was in his 60s. He gave the cashier a $10 bill, but apparently it wasn't enough. When the cashier mentioned it to him in a nice way, he said, Oh, I'm sorry, I guess I had a senior moment. And I thought how sad that was. To blame a simple mistake on the fact that you're in your 60s, even if you're just sort of joking. As if anyone would think a 20-year-old couldn't make the same mistake. I only mention this because it's an example of how people can brainwash themselves by adopting popular language. I wanted to pull them aside and say, Listen, I just heard you refer to yourself as a senior. And I wanted to ask, Were you by any chance a junior last year? Because if you weren't a junior last year, then you're not a senior this year. I wanted to say it, but I figured, why would he listen to me? After all, I'm still a freshman. Now past 60,000 deaths. Imagine that. 60,000 deaths from the coronavirus in this country. You probably remember, it was, it was just last week that the president was predicting the, the total death toll from the virus. It would be 60,000. That would be the total death toll. We are already past that point. There are still many more people in the hospital, many more people who are sick. But as there are more and more cases, over 1,038,000, as, death, as deaths past 60,800, 
60,800. There may, may be, excuse me, if I can get my mouth to work, there may be a glimmer of hope on the horizon. A glimmer of hope, and that's good news. Dr. Anthony Fauci, optimistic about a possible drug treatment for the coronavirus. The data shows that remdesivir has a clear-cut, significant, positive effect in diminishing the time to recovery. Okay, so here's what that means, just from that short soundbite from Dr. Fauci. That means that patients with severe coronavirus infections who took remdesivir could recover faster than patients who didn't take it. A preliminary trial shows that their recovery time went down from 15 to 11 days. It shortened it by about four days. It's not a miracle cure, but what's exciting to doctors is, is that this is the first thing that seems to have an impact on the coronavirus. The New York Times is reporting the FDA plans to announce an emergency use authorization for the drug. That, as the Trump administration, is launching a project to speed up the development of a potential coronavirus vaccine with the goal of manufacturing hundreds of millions of doses by the end of the year. But there's no vaccine yet, though there are projects in the works around the world. All of this just proves that we need more testing. We need to know how far this virus has spread. We need to know how many Americans are at risk. That's obvious to everybody. Well, maybe not everybody. <laughs> we do Trump. two million tests. They said, how come you didn't do three? Well, we do three, and then they say, how come you didn't do four? That's like a, that's like a dream for the media. But yeah, we've done incredible you. with the testing. And you'll see you over the next coming boys. weeks, Mike, you may be a, want to speak about that a little bit, but over the next game. coming weeks, you'll see some, some astonishing know. numbers. I don't know know that all of that's even necessary. Don't know. So he's no. president, and the president doesn't know if all of that testing is even necessary? He doesn't know. Mr. He... President, with over 60,000 dead Americans, it is necessary. And wasn't it you who made this promise almost two months ago? Anybody that needs a test gets a test. We, they're there. They have the test. That's true. And the tests are beautiful. Okay, he said dead. what he said. Maybe he said what he said today. Not because the testing is unnecessary, but because the president has not been able to deliver on his promise. The president is contradicting his own administration's guidance and the advice of experts because he apparently wants to paint a picture of an America that's over the virus and is roaring back. And it's not the first time that he has done an about face on testing, and it's not even the first time today. You said that we will very soon be testing 5 million people. Well, I don't know where 5 million when you said that. I'd like to refer to these two people because I don't know where it came up. Everyone kept saying, you said there'd be 5. That was a study that came out. Somebody came out with a study of 5 million people. Do I think we will? I think we will, but I never said it. We're testing millions of people. We're testing more people than any country in the world by far, by double. Lying. By much more than double, more than everybody else combined with testing. Look, but somebody lying. started throwing around five million. I didn't say five million. Somebody said five million. I think it might have been the Harvard report. There was a report from Harvard, and they said five million. Well, we will be there, but I didn't say it. Yes, you did. <laughs> oh, he said it all right. He yeah, said it he yesterday. Said it. I hear you saying you're confident you can surpass 5 million tests per day? Is that? Oh, well, we're going to be there very soon. 
if you look at the numbers, it could be that we're getting very close. I mean, I don't have the exact numbers. We would have had them if you asked me the same question a little while ago, because people with the statistics were there. Uh, we're going to be there very soon. So he said that yesterday. Today, he claims he never said it. And by the He's way, Admiral Brett Girard, the top He's administration official in charge of testing, told Time magazine yesterday, there is no way this country could conduct crazy. 5 million tests per day. Quote, there is absolutely no way on Earth, on this planet, or any other planet that we can do 20 million tests a day or even 5 million tests a day. But this president, who famously said, my gut tells me more sometimes than anybody's brain can ever tell me, he just doesn't want to listen to the experts, his own experts. He doesn't listen to anybody. He, he might even be a little bit jealous court. of them. It's a privilege to be talking you were very inspired by these two very famous people over here. Yes. They become more famous than me. I'm a little bit jealous. What is that all about? All of this flip-flopping, all of this ignoring the experts, the people who actually know what they're talking yeah. about. It's yeah. about a president yeah. who thinks that he can just demand that everything go back to the way it was. I was uh, on the phone with the commissioners and some of the owners of the sports, of, of uh, big-time sports, and oh, he was talking almost great. like uh, he was going to have two or three seats in between everybody that was there. He nauseous. And I said, you know, you're, you're not going to have to do that for that long. You know, it's, you're going to be back. He said, really? Oh, really? He was like, I don't want people to get used to this because this virus is going to be gone. And when it's gone, you want to get back to normal. You're not going to have a stadium that's 30 percent the size of what it was uh, three months ago. Uh, If I watch Alabama play LSU, I don't want to see 20,000 people instead of 120,000 people. We want it to be the way it was. Now, you've got to wait till it's gone, and it will be gone. And we've done a lot to get rid of it. Uh, but we, we want to open our country. The people want this country open. Yeah. You want to just uh, say something before I move on with what I had planned here. I've seen so many people out and about lately. Not socially distancing, not wearing masks, not following the rules. Yeah, I do, too. This is not over. You may think it's over because if you if you actually pay attention to what's happening in Washington with this administration, not having the briefings, trying to pretending that this is over, because they want to move on to other things. So not having those briefings, that's all part of the plan. He wants to move on for to you to think he that this is over, that not, we have moved beyond this. People are still dying at is alarming rates. Those quarantine orders that are given, they're still in, in, in place. There's still, they're still orders in most places. So don't get it twisted. Don't sit there and think that this is over because you've, just, you've been in the house for a long time. That's not so. <laughs> think about the people who are giving up their jobs, who have come to New York and other places and are putting their lives on the line and their health on the line. Mm-hmm. And yet you're out running around and you're getting coffee and you're doing your thing and you're running around to the store without your mask. And I see everybody out on the internet. Every day I, I come into work. I go between my house. The last two weeks have been my house and work. And I see more and more traffic. I don't know where people are essential. I don't know where they're going. 
But this is not over yet. They're getting some air. Until the authorities tell you it's over, then it's over. No more than 10 people. People. That you have been with for the last however many days that you have been in quarantine. That's how it works, people. Why are people sacrificing so much for you to pretend you're doing it, but not really do it? You're putting other people's lives at risk. They don't care. This is real. It is real. Now, this is, uh, the fact is for everybody, everybody wants this country to open. Nobody, I come into an empty building, a giant, I work in a high rise that's, I don't know, 100 stories. I have no idea. I'm probably one of seven people in this entire building right now. It's lonely. That is not even a big deal. Who cares? But I want to be around people just like you want to be around people. I want my entire staff back. I'm in the studio. There is nobody in here but me. Everybody wants to get back to work. But when it is safe, when officials, when the experts tell you it's time to go back to work, it's time to let up off the gas. Do it when the experts, the scientists, the doctors, not when the politicians who are playing political games tell you. The politicians who are listening to the scientists. All right. That's, uh, that was great. That was great info. Thank you very much. We'll have that on again on the show. Um, that was great insult because there, there are a lot of people out there that defying the stay at home orders. And to me, they're just knuckleheads. That is, if they want to defy, uh, the stay at home orders, um, and walk around with assault rifle, assault rifles, uh, a lot of these are Donald Trump goons. They're out there wanting to start something, start a fight. But the rest of us, if, if, if people want to die, if they don't want to follow the rules, they want to die, there's nothing anybody else can do. And that's what I say. If you, you want to uh, shirk off the rules and the orders, go out here. Because this virus is going to be around until we find a cure. There has to be a cure. As long as there's no cure, it's going to keep spreading, it's going to keep on killing people. When they say they have a vaccine, they, they have a cure for it, everybody's going to be tested, then we go back out. You'll be surprised at the people who are shirked the orders, the stay-at-home orders, and decided they, they wanted to mingle, get together in a crowd of other people, and say, fuck off to the stay-at-home orders, a lot of these people have died from the virus. Not listening to the experts, not not listening to their uh, governmental officials, the governors, their senators, uh, representatives, let me say representatives, because I think none of the senators are the damn. Their representatives, their family, their mayor, the governor, they don't listen to these people who say, Stay home. Stay shelter in place. I want to go outside. It's, it's the weather. You know, I've seen so many people in groups. They're riding their bikes in groups. They're skating in groups. Out here where this virus is going to tear their asses up. Because there's, as I said, there's so many 
times when I've seen so many people defying the stay-at-home orders. This is my house. This is my business. I can open it when I want to open it. Everybody wants to get back to work. Everybody wants to get out there in the sunshine. We all want to. But the virus is still out there. It's not going away. As long as that virus is out there, you want to, you know, go out and have barbecues, you, someone, you're going to get it or someone you know is going to get it and may take it back to their family, families and get it to their whole family. People have to follow the rules. They don't like it. They hate it. But it'll keep them alive and it'll keep their family and friends alive if they follow the rules. But, you know, people do what the hell they want to do. They want to go out here, get in a crowd of people, be around thousands of people at the park, at the beach, and this virus is still out there. They know that they're putting themselves at risk, but they want to pretend like they're protesting. Yeah, protest all you want. The virus is going to hit you in the ass and you could die. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. I want to thank my guest, Sherry Cape. She's always beautiful, always uh, full of uh, – she's funny, too. She's very funny. If you heard you than that, she's very funny. She's very smart and very intelligent, and she's a great writer, believe me. She's been all over the place. I want to thank Sherry Cape for being on the show, and I, I apologize to her several times about the, the screw-ups. I really don't know if it was on her end or if it was on my end. It could have been one of my computers. Anyway, we're signing off. The George Wilder Jr. Show is signing off for today. We will be back on tomorrow, and we're going to have more and more and more fun. We're going to talk about this virus because I think we should always be talking about this virus until it is finally cured. And as 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 a, oh, if I can get my mouth straight. Uh, as I've told Sherry, this can't last. This cannot last too long. You know, but it it's lasted long enough. Uh, so we'll be over this, and we'll be talking about it. We'll be writing about it. Uh, and then we're going to be getting on with our lives, our lives. But right now, people stay home, stay in place until they find a cure for this virus. You may go and wear a mask because, you know, the virus could be in the air around you. Somebody could have coughed in that spot that you passing by on, and and you could get the virus. Wear a mask. And when you wear a mask, make sure you cover your mouth and your nose. I've seen people out there with with masks, but they never covered their nose. Because that's where the virus goes. It goes. That's where those droplets go. If you goes up your nose, and when you're wearing a mask, you're actually saving the life of the other person that may just be walking past you, by you from either direction. When you wear a mask, you're saving lives. When they wear a mask, they're saving your life. Wear a mask. Uh, I know some. I see some girls that, well, I'm too cute. I don't want a mask. I don't want to hide my face. I look too good. It's not about how good you look. It's about how much you want to save lives, even your own. 
So we got to get past that pettiness. So, so um, yeah, uh, stay safe, stay home, do the right thing, and save lives. All right, you've been listening to the George Water Julie Show. Join me tomorrow, folks. Have a good day. Have a good evening. Have a good morning. Whenever you find yourself listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show, just have a good one. Bye-bye.